0: Do you find with some of your clients who are more social media famous, for example, that Mm -hmm. you struggle with the
1: pressure that comes with that? Nine times out of 10, the people I'm working with now that are of a certain level, you know, they're pretty close to where they need to be. If you're always satisfied with nearly perfect, then it starts to blur what I think you can push for, if that makes sense.
0: So today I'm gonna talk all about uh, what you're doing with Team Pro Coach, uh, bodybuilding, some anabolic steroid use, health, uh, and go a little bit down that sort of tangent. So firstly, to run into things, you're doing the seminar obviously here in Dubai at the moment with yep. uh, Luke and John. That's been phenomenal. I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, and is this something you're going to look to push throughout the world and continue to keep growing?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, me and Luke have done it domestically in the UK, and then we went back over to the US and did it in Texas. So we've done um, two in the UK, one in Texas, and uh, this will be uh, the first time that John's joined us. It was the original plan to get him in for the first one, but. John, um, obviously it's, it's just getting schedules to align, isn't it? Um, but as a three, the goal is to uh, do more of that, you know, intercontinental different places. There's, you know, somewhere booked overseas for, for December, which will be a really good one for us in terms of um, just tapping into somewhere we've never been before in a different, a different audience. Um, and I think it is that network of like, the fitness industry is obviously very big, but when you're in this little niche that we're in, in terms of comp prep coaching, the circle that you actually build is not that big worldwide. So you only need to network with a few people to then open so many doors. It's so like the, the, same, the same thing with like Dungeon Gin and, and, and Abdullah, building those relationships now will allow us to, you know, do future events here and, and build upon that. So it's um, it's very, very cool.
0: So you've grown obviously Team Pro Coach and obviously you were with Muscle Mentors before uh, quite dramatically over the last year or two. Would you mm. say networking is one of the key things that you've done?
1: Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know being around the right people and building relationships with the right people and nurturing them um it was the same when we had the muscle mentors in uh we think we started that in 2017 2018 and we stopped that in 2020 2021 early um and then launched pro coach in uh September 2021 i think it was but that was the same notion of you know you you take the people around you i took took the team with me that was at the muscle mentors so you kind of have a have a you know build a foundation there and then it's quite unique in regards to this industry, like a lot of your clients then become almost like your valuable assets in terms of the network that you build. And it's um, you know, business to business. It's you know, you, you nurture that on both sides. So it's just getting building relationships with people and allowing that to open up opportunities. When you first started in the fitness industry, obviously i remember you were at
0: M ten before, I remember mm. seeing photos of you view when you were about fifty pounds smaller. <laughs> Did you think you would have gotten to this point where you are now and doing comp prep coaching or was this something you'd always envisioned of what you wanted to achieve?
1: Um, I think I'm, I moved to M10 on the vision of wanting to move down uh, like w- what was referred to as like physique coaching before, so like two or three years ago, the buzzword was, I wanna be a physique coach in the fitness industry, right? And that was more so like blanketed over photoshoot preps transformations m10 was driven around transformation based um, transformation-based coaching but that was obviously the the large majority that was non-competitors so gen pop but gen pop going in and having these changes that would go from you know your normal walk of life to then you know being really leaning a photo shoot so you're starting to expose yourself to the extremes of body composition there, which is, you know, quite a cool thing when you first get into that. And then I think the more I did that with gem pop to getting them in, you know, incredible shape for photo shoots, and the more you got an eye of that, and the more I was around that environment, you know, there's the likes of, uh, like Josh Maley is like Mr. Universe. Now he's now a pro, IFBB pro. Um, there's a couple of other guys that are around that circle that used to train in the gym and PT there. And the more I saw that, the more I kind of fell in love with that. Um, and then it kind of led me into, there's a few people that I started coaching that wanted to compete or a few long-term clients that were like, I fancy doing a, a show now and they've done a couple of shoots with me and then one thing led to another and it decided to, um, kind of build momentum from there. Do you set goals and have like a, a vision of what you want to achieve next three to five
0: years? So obviously what you've done's been obviously impressive in terms mm. of what the clients you've achieved and I know obviously from your presentation yesterday in terms of mapping things out and mm. reverse engineering things back mm. is that almost what you're doing within your life like in terms of business and like relationships
1: um business, business business probably not like I'm not I'm not the most business minded person it's more so like looking at where what I specialize in and, and it's making sure I'm the best I can be in that and I'm I'm very very competitive and uh I'm very, I expect a lot of myself in terms of my coaching ability when there's like a competitive goal in mind. And I think that has has kind of nurtured the results and the results building the profile and the profile building the brand. It's not necessarily been like i I've never been in a position where it's like, I wanna have a business that turns over this much. I wanna have a business that grows this quickly. It's more so like, this is what I do for, a, this is my real passion. And the better I get at that, the more successful I get. And the more successful you get, the more you don't accept not being successful, if that makes sense. It's like you, I used to go to a show and I'd be like, if a client looks good on stage, perfect. I'll get a photo with them and then we'll go home. And then it was like, right, I I need a client to get first call out. And then it was like, I need a client to get top three. And now it's like, I'm going to a show to win, and I'll be really disappointed even if he gets second. So it's that mentality of like it just changes over time and evolves, but it's the same as anything. Like if you're in a position where it's like you've earned, you know, the business has turned over this much, you never want to go backwards. You only want to progress and go forwards, which is a bit of a catch twenty two. But it's also the thing that keeps you evolving and moving forwards. Hundred percent,
0: and I think that's one of those things. I think ingrained in men is having a progressive mentality so like, to make you happy, because mm. otherwise, like, what's the fucking point? Like why am I getting out of bed today? Is it just yeah. to like just turn up and survive? And I think mm. that's why everyone should have goals and things to strive for. And I think that's why bodybuilding and fitness is such a beautiful thing because everyone can ha- you have complete control of your own results basically. Because yep. it's not like from a business point of view, um, the virus that happened a few years ago, like wipes your business out or the economy tanks or whatever. You control whether you lose body fat or build muscle to pretty much a hundred percent extent.
1: Yep. 100%, yeah, hundred percent, yeah.
0: And I think that's one of the unique Aspects in life where that's the only thing where you actually have full control of everything yeah yeah
1: yeah that's that's the that's the thing I think the the beauty of this industry and the beauty of coaching is the fact that the be- the more refined your skill set gets and the better you get at coaching and the better you know portfolio you can build from an athlete perspective, especially now working with competitors and high level competitors um, you know if you can deliver more on stage, the brand and the profile of the business grows by default. So you don't re- like. I'd, I'd, it's only been like the last six to eight months where I've really like reinvested and paid a lot of attention. Probably the last year, maybe, where I've reinvested and paid a lot of attention to the logistics of the actual business and how it works and how I can, you know, systemize things and scale. Because we're now at a point where it's like, well, if I don't do that, we're just kind of bottlenecking what is actually possible here, and then it doesn't really make sense. For from a longevity perspective, it's like I know I can't operate and coach like this for the next thirty years so i need some form of contingency plan in terms of what's set when i don't want to coach this amount of people but that structure wasn't there before because i was just focusing on these are my clients this is what i'm focusing on whatever happens outside of that happens and then you know the more the more i became successful competitively on stage or the more results i got the you know it just grew by default organically which is like sweet we're still moving forward so that kind of tick boxes in my mind but now we're in a position where it's like you know you need to you need to play Genuine attention to actually putting things in place to allow that to thrive as it could because before there are a lot of things that weren't in place that I wasn't even aware of because I didn't really know you know what the system you know what the systems you need to have were Um, whereas now it's like you just I just need to be more aware of you know now we're bringing more coaches onto the team and you know i'm feeding more mouths so to speak in regards to having more people coming through the business and more people getting allocated to other people you know one of the responsibilities from a instead of just being a coach now is like as a business owner it's making sure that everything's running smoothly around that as well which is you know a new challenge in itself as I saying you said that in terms of like
0: learning things it's like you don't know what you don't know and it's yeah. suddenly when someone like shows you something like shit, why well, was yeah 100 percent, and it becomes so obvious yeah uh and it was one of those things we were talking before about uh people were using really high amounts of steroids and at the time, the people go down a rabbit hole, you don't realise what you're doing,
1: but it yeah. was like further down the line, you look back and like, this was really obvious, I probably should Yeah, so it's, it's normally, the, it's normally the, the mistake needs to be made for you to then have the reflection over what to actually change. It's very rare, especially, it's very rare when you're moving at a fast pace and you're very driven and motivated, it's very rare to proactively dodge issues. You normally stumble onto them and you're like, oh, let's take a step back and reevaluate that and then moving in a different direction. What's the
0: biggest challenge you've had from a business perspective?
1: Um, I think when you're, growing, when you're growing a coaching business, it's bringing people on board that are the right people that uphold the standard that you want to maintain across the, the coaching. So like, we don't want to be in a position where we bring a coach on and we give them you know, X amount of clients and that, that client is expecting a, a certain standard of service or a certain result and that's under-delivered. Because then all it takes is for them to go on socials or tell ten people, and then you're in a position where you you have this little bit of a tainted image over the brand that doesn't need to be there. That then you're in a position where it's like, well, if I coach that individual, I could have done better, or whatever it might be. So it's picking the right people. Luckily, because we had the the muscle mentals previously, the lads that I had within the muscle mentals team that coached with me, I, I was you know very well versed with in terms of the the relationships we built. So when they came onto the coaching team for Pro Coach we had like a very clear understanding of what we wanted to do and what we expected of ourselves. And then as we've built the business from there, I've basically just handpicked coaches that have joined the team that have already been my clients before. So they've already been mentored by me or they've already been coached by me through preps, whatever it might be. So I'm very um, aware of the type of personnel, what the values are. I know they work hard. I know they're disciplined. I know they have genuine you know, values that match mine and it's, in a much easier fit, like I could never be in a position where I put an Instagram poll out and being like, you can apply for a job here and just pick a random person just because there'd be just too much in your mind, just thinking what happens if this doesn't fit. I think there's a huge amount to be said about the most important thing in business is trust and
0: trust in individuals. 100%, yeah, 100%. Uh, I think that's really the key. Coming back to like a, a bodybuilding perspective, obviously how many people did you turn pro in 2022? 13. What would you say is the biggest factor that decided them winning versus and turning pro versus some of the other clients you had?
1: Um I think within within those competitive circles, from a from a from a coaching perspective, the the more results you get and the higher you kind of move up that ladder and that chain. And the funny thing is now, you know, when I you know, we went to so many different countries last year travelling for shows, and you start to get really well versed with the same faces that are at every single show. And there's this like there's this UK tier, and then there's this like international tier of coaches that are all at the same shows that are always winning. So there's this like band of like ten people that, you know, will, you have the nod and you'll shake the hand. You be like, you know, and then you'll see them the next weekend in a different country. And I think in that in that regard, the the more you can spend time in those circles and have your face recognised, and then also be successful in those higher pressure environments, the more the cream of the crop in from a competitive standpoint start to trust you and then you start to get the inquiries where it's like I can't even believe that guy's inquired with me because the first time it happens the first time you get a big name on DMing in your Instagram you think it's like spam and then you like scroll back and you're like holy shit I've followed that guy for like 10 years and now he's applied for coaching so it's you know previously you would have never thought that would ever happen but if you consistently deliver in the environments that a lot of the coaching stuff is like it's just having the trust and the Building enough authority for the people that are in those higher circles to have enough trust in you to get the job done. And then once once they've given you the little opportunity of like, you know, they've they've paid for their first month of coaching and they're like, look, give me the plan and I'll follow it and let's go from there. Even if you don't have as many, you know, results or accolades as the previous coach who's done it for ten years or whatever it might be, you just need to hit your mark and build a relationship, and then it starts to flourish. And then you do that two or three times—the first, you know, one, two, three pro cards—and then it just starts to accelerate at a very quick rate. Who was the first person who messaged you like, "Holy fuck, this is insane"? Um, must be someone for you to say to make that statement. I think in the UK. In the UK, when it first happened, it was probably um It's ages ago now probably josh Bridgman when he first started coaching with me because josh was someone that had been that was obviously very big on social media that was the first one when i when i was early on in coaching that i hadn't coached that many people and he i think he was previously coached by uh jordan peters and i think when josh signed up and he was like look i want to i want to move from the uk bff i want to go enhance i want to turn pro then that was the first time that you know, I was in a position where I coached a client that had their own big following and I coached a client that, you know, put me on their platform that allowed allowed me to kind of flourish in terms of getting exposed to more people, getting the brand exposed to more people. And then once you're in a position where it's like, right, I did that, you know, I, I, uh, I did that, I got a few more and then people like, um, you know, Brandon signed up for coaching and then it happened again you get another, you know, I remember, I remember at Brandon's show, the first time he did a regional with me, it was in Maidenhead for the two Bros show and he won the overall there. And then we went to Ukraine. We went to Kiev for a pro qualifier. It was the first pro qualifier he did. He came second, I think. And then he had the year off and he turned pro this, this last year. But I remember that first show in Maidenhead, he put on his Instagram, Hey guys, this is my coach. He's going to go on Instagram live when I'm on stage. If you want to watch me on stage, you know, follow him and, and go on Instagram live. And I got like 10,000 followers in the space of like 12 hours, just because people were just like, oh, Brandon's page, he's getting all these story views because it's a day's competing, he's got so much traction. I think it was like eight and a half thousand followers. And um, that, that was the first time I was like, holy fuck, like this is nuts compared to like the traction and the pull that these individuals can get. And then a, a, a few months after that, you know, you, you get a, f- a few more in- individuals that and the most important thing there is like yeah it's the social media stuff and the rigmarole there that I, I try and not get too drawn into but they're like genuine athletes that have a lot of potential and they all genuinely have potential to turn pro which they've all turned pro all those in, all those first guys and girls that have, that have done that have all done that now and achieved it and now they're in the pro leagues it's not you know it's not the influence that says this or that and then it's like it do- it do- they don't deliver like they've all walked the walk and I think that being in a position where it's people that have tried to do it before that haven't done it and fallen short and then they've suddenly achieved that you get a lot of recognition in terms of like there's a bit more authority with right he can he can get the job done or he can get the results and um then it started moving from like the fitnessy instagrammy type platforms to the actual pros and the and the high level competitive circles um, and now there's like 42 pros on the team it's like most of my clients are RPB pro if you told me that like five years ago, my I'd have been like, nah, it's stupid. Do you know it's a big difference coaching the pros versus amateurs? Um, well, the 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 objectives are obviously a lot more ambitious for one. Which you know, at the start when I had people you know booking in for pro shows and I was in, the, it was a little bit overwhelming because it was like, well, I'm, you know, there's, the the stakes are high. There's people watching. Um, they've all got you know, their own individual platforms where there's a lot of people that, you know, you see comments and you see this and that where there's an expectation. So it's like, I've got to deliver here. Um, And then you're also in a position where when they're they're professional athletes, when they're in the IFBB particularly, um, there's prize money involved. They've got their own sponsors that they need to uphold, you know, success with and the the better they do, the better they, you know, thrive from a a, um, financial perspective. So there's a lot of pressure in terms of actually delivering. Whereas when you're working with a regional competitor or you're working with someone that's doing the first show, the the, the pressure is more so them just ex- what what to expect of themselves and the coaching role is to just deliver them at 100. percent But there's no expectation of winning necessarily. And now we're in a position where when when you're working with these pro athletes, they're all they're all just competing to win. So there's an expectation where it's like, even if you know, there's loads of times where Clients were getting second or third in big pro shows and it was still the fact that like nobody celebrated Everyone was like that was a failure but like if you in the back of your mind you're thinking like I shouldn't be thinking like this but then when you Uphold those standards and you and you want to push to a point where you're consistently winning in those environments Then you do need to be like that because if you're always satisfied with nearly perfect then it starts to blur what I think you can push for, if that makes sense. Because you don't you don't get better from just constantly being satisfied with not achieving the highest you can. I thousand percent agree with that. I think that's almost like
0: every aspect of life. I think you almost need to be slightly you need to be like
1: fulfilled but slightly unhappy at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Like otherwise you just you don't push yourself to keep going. Yeah, yeah, because then it's not you don't have the reflection of like, right, how can I how can Roof. I how can I hit the mark next time? Because you'll you'll end up just going and doing the same thing. When you get new clients coming to you who may be more
0: amateurish, do you have to sometimes make them more realistic in terms of their goals? Sometimes
1: they're way too ambitious with what they want to achieve in the yeah. time frame. Um, I think that's just like the coaching element of like once you've built a little bit of rapport and... It might even be on the first call. Like if they've inquired and I can see on the the bio of the inquiry they've got these specific goals, and then their photos come through and it's like they they're a lot they're a lot further away from the mark than you thought they might be. Then it's just being realistic about how long it's going to take to get there. But I think now we're in a position and. Uh, from a from a coaching perspective where we've got a lot of people over the finish line and we've managed to achieve those results when we actually say it there's a there's a deeper level of understanding as to well obviously he knows what he's talking about so I'm going to listen to him whereas if you didn't have the results to back it up and you hadn't walked the walk there coaching wise and competitively that individual might get off that call and be like I'm just going to go to another coach he's going to tell me that I can do it does that make sense? Yeah, people want yes man. They just want like they just want the person that's gonna give them the nod, sign them up and then throw them into the process and not think about it too much in terms of what the reality could be if they fell short. They just idolize, like they glorify what well, I can only, you know, do well here. Um, because they don't really know what to expect when they actually get to that competitive environment and they don't know, you know, the standard that the show is gonna be. They don't know how good they have to be to win, they have no comprehension of Really what it's going to take to get to that goal. If you've got people that are coming in that have never competed before and they're like, I want to be a pro this season. And it's like, you've never done a show before. And sometimes you're gonna get guys that can do that, but they're the, they're the 0.1%. Um, but I think the more authority you have and the more trust people have in you to get the job done, the more understanding they have over like acknowledging the fact that if you said that, then it's like, right, I'll get my head down and I'll do what needs to be done. When you have some of these clients coming to you,
0: obviously, uh, PEDs are a huge aspect of bodybuilding. Mm. Probably more so than they should be. People should probably focus on training and nutrition. Mm. Um, how do you have that conversation with them in terms of like risk to reward? I know you mentioned today. I think it was yesterday that some people like literally just don't give a shit and do want to take everything
1: under the sun. Yeah. How do you find how do you try and control that conversation or that narrative? Um, I think you've just got to have like I've always used the stance of like having awareness over the risk of the decisions that you make. And from a coaching perspective, you've got to have the ethical position of like, when we said in the seminar, it's the ability to always have the stance of not, you know, do no harm as a coach, whether that's from a training perspective, whether that's nutritionally, having an awareness of how to program effectively. And when you're looking at PD use in, in bodybuilding, that's having direct, direct, you know, connotations to their long-term health. So it's something you can't mess up because it has ramifications beyond them, you know, Having a tear in the hamstring or them having digestive issues because you've poorly managed their diet like it has genuine life changing impacts um, so when you're in that position I think the biggest thing is an awareness over the risk and then making them fully appreciate the fact that if they make those decisions they've got to they've got to be well thought out in regards to having to deal with the consequences if they happen. Because a lot of people that start bodybuilding, we've all been there. When you're not aware of the ins and outs of the ramifications long-term, you feel like you're invincible and you're willing to do anything to progress it's like I'll worry about that later it's never going to happen to me but then the more you hang around the circles of oh, it's happened to this individual because I've seen it before or I've seen blood work that started to change over the long run or I've read these papers or I've gotten a, I've gotten awareness over like we said before with the lecture yesterday where it's like looking at a breakdown deep dive of what's actually happening with PD application and the more aggressive side of the spectrum with the heart kidney liver you know brain and the things that we know are happening because we can see it in literature and we can see it anecdotally and you know, first person with coaching. Um, everyone's got a spectrum of goals, whether it's low level or high level in terms of competitive nature and the guys that are on the lower level, you've just got to be realistic in terms of like you, just, you don't need to do this in terms of be that aggressive and there's a system that we follow and this is how I'm going to coach you and they'll understand. If they don't understand, then it's not going to work. Um, because ethically, if I've got a posi- if I've got a client that is just being reckless is what they're doing and they're not listening to me, it's not a coaching relationship I can maintain um, if you're trying to educate them and they're not listening. But if you've got a client that's fully understanding of the process and you're like, look, these are the decisions you're going to have to make. This is how you get there. But I'm going to put you in a position where you're taking the least amount of risk possible but still progressing and still being competitive. That's the best solution to be in. You are going to get some people when you get to the higher competitive level where there's a much more skewed relationship between risk and reward over the the side of reward over being mindful of risk and they're the they're the individuals that will be willingly happy to make the more they are still calculated but make the more risk uh riskful decisions as opposed to being risk averse and nine times out of 10 within bodybuilding, we've got to appreciate the fact that if you are going to spend a lot of time in those winning, environment, like winning circles and you're going to be on the right side of a decision judging wise, you know, they are going to be the people that are going to be willing to take those risks. It's very rare for people to be in those circles consistently that aren't. Um, but then a coach, the coaching side is, like we said in the seminar, the other side of the coin is, well, what can we put in place if we are going to make those more high-risk decisions? What can we put in place to actually ensure that we're doing everything we can to keep your health in, in a manage, manageable place? And what, we, what, what can we doing what, what can we be doing month to month, day to day, year to year to monitor the potential changes that are occurring? So if we do feel as though things are taking a turn for the worst, we can put things in place to stop that happening. Have you ever had to turn clients away who have gone to the abusive side, who won't listen in terms of reigning in drug use? I've had to. I've, I've had clients that have not signed up um, if I'm not willing to uh, if I'm not willing to step into a process with the position they're currently in. So it's happened quite a few times. Funnily enough, a lot of, a lot of the individuals have been female, not male. But if it's females that are starting a prep, where I'll get them to run blood work and their blood work is poor. And I know they're already on potential, like they're on compounds, they're on these substances, whatever they might be. And I'm giving them the layout of like, look, this is not a position you want to be in long-term. And what you're doing now is not conducive to making any of this better. And they're like, but I've got a show in eight weeks. I'm not going to be in a position where I'm going to say no to prepping them or if I say, look, I suggest strongly suggest we do this first, then they're gonna to go to another coach. And you'll see them, you know, you'll see them on social media the week after sign up with X Next. Because X X, and X, you know, have have skewed have skewed um, values in terms of what what stance they take ethically. Um, but in that situation it's like if they're making those decisions then you just can't you just can't be in a position where you're well where you're ready to be part of that. But it is the fitness industry where it's like if you if you say no to someone, you will see them the next week, just sign up with the next person. What's the most ludicrous cycle you've seen when someone's
0: come to you? I imagine you see oh, some crazy st- shit. Stupid stuff, yeah.
1: Stupid stuff. And it's normally the people that it's not normally the people that you'd look at inquiry and go, Jesus, they can be really good. They're, they're, you know, they're going to be a top level pro or they're going to be on the Olympia stage. It's usually the people that genetically don't have the genetic prowess to go a long way in bodybuilding. And the way they're forcing progression is just through drug abuse. That, And that's the individual that shouldn't be, the reality of it, that's the individual that shouldn't have the higher level competitive aspirations of bodybuilding. They're just, they're, they need to be in a position where they accept the fact that they're never going to look like, you know, nick walker they're never going to look like that because genetically for for them for them to get there they'd need to to, to abuse so much nutritionally you know pd pd wise that they're going to compromise so much in the process it's not worth the it's not worth the journey going there so it's pulling them back down to a, the reality of like you're your own individual and you know you should be setting your goals off what's realistic because they're still going to give you just as much satisfaction and reward it's just you know People will, you know, it's the difference between like if you have somebody competing in the NPC, say you this year, if you set goals of, I want to get a top five in really competitive MPC shows, or I want to get a top three, or, I want to win. Those are all realistic goals. Whereas if you've got a client or if you said to me, I want to be in Mr. Olympia next year. Well, you know that that's never going to happen. And you know that even if you had those goals, what would be required for you to get there would be ludicrous. But it's the it's it's the individual that blocks out the risk factor and just removes that from the equation. That's the situation which is messy.
0: How do you think? How do you actually control that conversation with clients? Do you just find do you find men are
1: worse than that or women? they they're both just as bad. Um, they're both just as bad. Women. The only situation with female competitors and athletes is you're dealing with a much more fragile situation Hormonally. yeah hormonally physiologically and you're dealing with issues that if you've got a male and you know there's there's an individual at the seminar today who's had a, who's had a stroke in the last 12 months and he's he's competing again because he can manage that and he can stay in control and if he's in a position where he sees things take a turn for the worse, then you know, he'll wrap that up and he'll move on into, a, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll replace bodybuilding with something else competitive or you replace bodybuilding with something else that gives them the same, give them the same, you know, reward. Um, and that's what, what you see a lot of these guys that compete, that stop competing, they might go into endurance sports. They might start doing jujitsu. Ju- There's, you know, you saw Jordan when he stopped bodybuilding for, I think he is starting again now, but when he stopped for a period of time, he started doing more conditioning work in jujitsu because it's a discipline that you're just transferring skill over. um, But for females, the the risky thing is, and when you're looking at viralization and androgen use, once it's done, it's done. Like you're not taking a step back from that. Um, And you're gonna get certain competitors that they're usually in the circle of the female competitors that are competing in divisions and categories that basically require that as part and parcel of what they're doing to achieve the look they wanna achieve. So like WPD, women's physique or women's bodybuilding. Most of those girls have just accepted the fact that there's going to be a some, some level of compromise there, long term. But if we're in bikini or wellness or figure, there's that skewed line of what you're willing to do to get there. And then nine times out of ten, that situation where they say, I'm willing to do anything. In 15 years' time when they want to have kids, in 15 years' time when they're sat at home as a, as a mum and they've got two children, there, or well, maybe they couldn't have children at all, they're going to have that little voice in the back of their head like, why on earth did I do that when I was...
0: Twenty, twenty-two, twenty-four. It's one of those things, I went to the Olympia Vegas, obviously as you did. And yeah. I found out from what a friend what some of the top bikini competitors were like taking. And I was like, holy shit, mm. I, like didn't, even I didn't correlate like the level that they were like pushing stuff to. Yep. Which for me just seems like insanity.
1: Yep. Which is why, uh, you know, in some of those situations you're gonna see some of these competitors rise and then they'll just fall off the face of the earth or they'll have to stop competing or they'll retire early and you know a lot of a lot of the top level athletes in this in those circles they will be more aggressive but they'll also have an understanding of you know what they need to put in place and the monitoring they need to put in place to manage that because the higher level the coaching gets and the higher level the sponsors get and the higher level the facilities they're training in get and their network gets you know they're probably going to have you know some form of physician or doctor that's going to work alongside them or their coach is going to be averse in um Monitoring blood work and tracking those things, so they can make the decisions the the, the 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 usually the more risk high risk situations are the national level or the regional level competitors that don't have those voices and input externally and objectively that say like dude like you should stop doing this or if it's a female competitor it's like you really don't want to be doing this for for a long period of time those are the risk riskful situations because those are the people that don't have the resources around them to tell them any different
0: with your own bodybuilding career and training obviously you pushed up to like 300 pounds yeah did you turn back on that and obviously bring your weight down because of health
1: reasons i just didn't need to be there I just didn't need to be there. When I when I made the choice, I competed once in 2019. I did one show. I won that show, and it's like right. Never, I've never I've lost one. done. Never lost a bodybuilding show. <laughs> How many have you done? One. Um, I, I wanted to go through that process to, you know, more so. I, obviously, I, I love I love training and um, I love bodybuilding as a sport. I, I love watching that in terms of like being at shows, being at the Olympia, being at these shows in the US. You know, being at the Arnolds, whatever. But I didn't really get. When I was up there myself on stage, I didn't really get much from that in terms of the actual stage time. It was obviously great to like see, see the process through, but I didn't love the, the element of being on stage. I just loved the process of actually getting there in the first place. And training's always gonna be a big part of my life because it's just something I really enjoy to do. And especially the more busy you get and the, 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 the higher stress levels get trainings, then just an escapism in terms of like, I need to train to keep my focus and keep clarity. Because once I leave the gym, I could go to the gym with a million things in my head. And then if I put my phone on airplane mode and put some music in my ears and just train for an hour, I can go to the gym just w- w- you know, with, some, with some clarity back in my mind. When I, when, I, when I kind of made the choice, like I'm not gonna compete again, because it doesn't really give me anything that I don't get from coaching. And I get probably more satisfaction out of taking these guys and girls on stage and I do myself. It's like, that's fine. Um, but you're also in a position where if you're 300 pounds and your body wants to be 230 pounds at like its happy set point, just living normally and not forcing food and not using PEDs, it's just an unnecessary level of risk that accumulates from being there. Um, and we spoke about a lot of that stuff yesterday in terms of you know, being in a position where the high risk factor for a lot of cardiac issues and the, the silent, you know, as morbid as it sounds, the silent killers within bodybuilding are long-term blood pressure irregularity, long-term, um, you know, uh, issues and, and influences on the heart and, and cardiovascular health. Um, those are the things that really start to bite back, but a little bit later in life, not in the first 10 years. And you see these people, you've, You we've seen loads over the last five years, big high level bodybuilders that have passed away. Sean, Cedric, people like that, that, um, you know, Dallas McCarver was probably yeah, one so of the first ones that it happened to, right? And then when you see people like that, like passing away and they're in the mid twenties, you're like, Jesus, like this is, this is not right. And then it makes you second guess it. Um, but the more I kind of learn and develop my refinement from an education standpoint in when we're teaching people, you know, these things and like, like we're doing this weekend at Dungeon. It just didn't make sense in my head to just continue in that manner. In terms of like, I don't need to be three hundred pounds. Why? Why am I three hundred pounds when you know I'm out of breath all the time? You know, I've got you know lower back pumps as walking the dog in the morning, and um, my blood pressure is a little bit higher than it needs to be. And my resting heart rate is a little bit higher than it needs to be. I've got to use a sleep apnea mask at night to you know for for my fiance not to break up with me because I'm snoring so loudly. Is um, it's just inconvenience. And as much as I love bodybuilding, it's not. It's not enough to know for a fact that I'm kind of doing long term, long term. I'm not, it's not damage, but it's risk. It doesn't need to be there. If I was competing, I'd happily do it, but I'm not. So I've got, I've got, I've got competitors that we spoke about Nathan Stiles today, Nate's just turned pro and he's 340 pounds in the off season. He probably get to the mid three fifties, which is ludicrous is enormous but he's also one of competing as a professional athlete he, or he wants to do bodybuilding and he might compete, you know, competitively as a professional for the next three, five years, whatever it might be. But he's also understanding of the risk. You know, we're very, uh, you know, we've, we're very diligent with how we monitor his blood work and how we look after that side. And he's also understanding of the fact that if there was something that ever happened and was flagged up, you'd pack it in because you know, you know, it's, you know, it's not worth the risk of potentially like significant issues with your health. Um, but it's different when you're competing because your mind's in, diff- in a different place. And you've seen, you know, you've seen that yourself in your own prep, like, you know, when you, when you stop prep and you look back, you're like, Jesus Christ, did I really do that? But when you're in prep and you're in your little bubble and you, all you think about is doing well and beating that last stage package or winning your show, whatever it might be, you know, even when I was prepping in 2019, it was like, whatever goes, goes like, I've got to, I've got to win my show. I've got to look a certain way because you don't want to fall short and as funny as it sounds in this industry i think that's probably exacerbated from that social media aspect of like there's an expectation and you don't want to go you you know as silly as it sounds like i remember i remember when i was stood backstage for my for my show it was in birmingham birmingham town hall for the pca and um i remember stood backstage and before we went and pumped up in the back area i i uh i was messaging jordan jordan peters was coaching me and he was like um you know, it's just giving a, the last few instructions and I was like, sweet, I'm going to go backstage in a minute and um, leave my phone in my bag. And then the last thing I did in my uh, bag I, before I turned it on, like the Instagram logo is at the bottom of the page. And I was like, in like an hour's time, I'm going to have to go on Instagram and like tell everyone how I'd done. And like, I'm now in a position where I'm started to, uh, you know, first start to establish myself as this, this coach that, you know, only wants people that win and only, only wants to, you know, achieve high results. If I don't win, I'm going to look an idiot. And that little thought came into the back of my mind and then I opened the door into the backstage area and then just focused again. But it's little things like that, like it's the expectation. And that for a lot of people, when you're in prep and you're like, I can't fall short because I've got so many people expecting me to win and what are they are going to say if I don't win? That pressure is what what you know cultivates the decisions that probably don't need to be made or the decisions that you might not have made if that wasn't there.
0: Do you find with some of your clients who are more uh social media famous for example, mm. that you struggle with the pressure that comes with that?
1: yeah, for sure, and you know whether it's whether it's people that whether it's people that make people aware of that on their platforms, whether it isn't the major, the large majority of large majority of them will be. And that sometimes materialises in maybe them not posting as much content towards the back end of their preps because they just want to get their head down and they don't want to listen to the the noise of the of social media, um, particularly as a particularly as a pro or when you start getting into you're trying to you're trying to win a pro card or you're trying to do this or that and then you're in a position where you're posting update photos or you know the bodybuilder that borders is reposting your checking pictures and then there's 26 comments and it's like ah. Oh. I'm, dro- I'm 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 waiting i'm waiting for you know i'm waiting for a machine in the gym it's like what of what of uh the com what are the comments saying and then one comment will like just stay in your mind forever and it'll be like why is it why are like why are his legs so small or he's never going to do well or whatever it might be you know and it's just noise it's just absolute bollocks but um that that environment there just builds internal pressure that potentially didn't need to be there before because it is like material like social media is a as a thing, nine times out of 10, those comments would never happen in, in person. Nobody would say most of those things. If, if I was sat here next to you and this was a, you know, a troll on social media, they'd never say it to the individual in person ever. They'd probably even be respectful. They'd be like, oh, nice to meet you. And just like put on a front because they don't want to have confrontation. But if you're behind a screen and you're behind an account that, that has a random name or whatever it might be, they'll say whatever they want. And then you take that to heart and it doesn't, it's like YouTube comments. YouTube, and things like YouTube's that. super harsh. Before. You could have like 400 comments and one of them's terrible and you'd only focus on the bad comment. And like, even from a coaching standpoint, I don't go on those pages now. I don't go on, you know, I'll like the photo and I'd never look at comments because it pisses you off. Because it's like this one, there's one, something meaningful and then you, like meaningless. And then it takes one comment to just get in your mind. It's funny you say that because it just reminded
0: me that I I get a lot of negative stuff sometimes and there are always people you try and reply mm. and there's like, oh, so-and-so does not allow to be mentioned in the comments. So you can't even fucking reply to him. Yeah, so it's yeah. like a one-sided fight.
1: Yeah. It's not even worth looking at. No.
0: I think that's a huge thing. In terms of like your own productivity and work, is there anything you do? Obviously, I know you work retarded hours and like mm. sit up until two o'clock in the morning on your laptop um, and also travel the world 24-7. Mm. Is there anything you do from a like a cognitive point of view to like optimize... Your performance from a work point of view, or you're being structured in terms of like maximizing your output, in terms of what you do day to day.
1: I think <laughs> like the the way we like the way I've got into the pattern of like how I get through my workload and how I stay on top of that. Some of it's just like you just got to get it done, and it might not be optimal in terms of your routine with the time it takes. But some of that is you know systems and you know running through sheet like coaching sheets or how you're presenting plans to clients that don't take long. So when you're making adjustments, it's a really efficient process of making the adjustments, sending the feedback and, and getting it gone um, instead of like maybe three years ago when I was doing that, it was probably really inefficient. So I was like doing stuff via email or I was writing out emails as feedback. And then it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm making one update that takes half an hour and I've got 20 to do for that day, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think you get more efficient at that. Um, I'm a firm believer of like making bread whilst the oven's hot so I know for a fact that I'm not going to be able to sustain this for the rest of my life and I also know that like we're trying to have um, we're, my, we're trying to start a family now and um, my missus is in a position where it's like you no know, she wants to she wants to have a, a child and I even know when we, when we have a kid like I'm going to have to change a lot of the things that I'm doing and mold that around that kind of family aspect but that's fine because you know that was always the goal but at the moment, especially when you're in that first like five years of like real growth and you know, I still feel I'm in that phase. You've just got to do everything you can to try and grasp onto it and, and nurture it because that's ultimately gonna be what's gonna set you up when you're, you know, forty, when you're fifty, that you can't be in a position where nine times out of ten you probably won't be able to work to that capacity. And you probably don't want to twenty years down the line. Um, but You know, is I don't. the 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 irony is, we're coaching, with what I do now, and even like long hours. If I wasn't doing it, I'd be forcing myself to not do it, and if I wasn't doing it, I'd just still be thinking about it anyway. I'm happier doing it than I'm than I am not doing it. If that makes sense because it's not something i see as like i remember when leaving leaving university and i worked with my i worked at michael page in london in recruitment yeah and, I'm okay. and i hated every minute i was in that office and like, i could couldn't wait to leave and i was dreadful at it because it was like i just didn't want to be there and i had to cold call people and like ring people that didn't want to talk to you and I was on a buying a merchandise recruitment team where I, I was the only male on the team. So all these all these girls were like London based, really into fashion, knew all the people that managed the stores and were like killing it. And I was like, I have no interest in this whatsoever. Um, but when you're in those environments, you, 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 you dislike the effort that it takes to become successful and you dislike the process to get there. Whereas when I'm in a position where I'm coaching athletes and it's bodybuilding related and it's physique related, I love it, so it's like it doesn't it, it's not arduous in any way because I like doing it, and like yeah, sometimes it's inconvenient, but you know if if it allows me to live the lifestyle I want to live, and it provides you know us you know my family with the lifestyle we want to live then if it takes longer, then it takes longer it's, it's completely normal it's uh it sounds very similar to me with work for me, like work is
0: like fun and enjoyment, That's yeah, like doing so it makes my brain like tick, yeah. And it's like, someone said to me the day, it's
1: like, what would you do if I won the, won the lottery? It's like, exactly the same as I do now, because- yeah. I know what I'd do if I won the lottery. I'd, I'd reinvest it into building a business and I'd open up a gym. Yeah, I'd probably, i probably, actually, that's one of the things I think I said, I'd just buy a gym, and I wouldn't care if it made any money or not. Yeah. And I'd just invite it's, my friends to come and so open a massive gym and I'd like, just fill it with the most awesome kit and just invite people to train there and to spend all your time there. Because, that, you, know, it's, you know, like Alphaland? Yeah, 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 Chris yeah, and yeah, Kisman, yeah. I'd just build that in the UK. That would be that would be the dream. And it wouldn't even matter if it made any money. As long as it could like sustain, then sweet. With your clients who are coming to you, what do you
0: find is the the biggest thing you have to correct that's holding them back in terms of making the biggest amount of progress? Um, drugs, nutrition, training, or adherence, mindset?
1: Mindset's a big one, which I think is like bought into the coaching culture that you uh, the culture that you make as a coach in terms of like the values and what the athletes expect of themselves after they've spent time there, and they're like the actual like genuine self belief that comes from that, and like the belief that I can actually do it, and then it reflects in their actions and it reflects in how hard they work. Um, the nutrition is something that is obviously moulded over time, but nine times out of ten, the people that I'm working with now that are of a certain level you know, they're pretty close to where they need to be. It's just a case of them now being objective and allowing me to make the decisions because it might have been made, if they're coaching themselves particularly, it might have been being made on a more subjective basis before which is probably not optimal for the pursuit of your goal if you're making emotional decisions. PED usage is something that's like risk. Like I said, it's it's just risk management, but maybe they need to be more aggressive if they wanna achieve those results or maybe I need to slow them down in terms of how quickly they're moving. Um, And then training is another one where it's like the management of that normally people that start are probably doing too much Because maybe what they're doing wasn't a listing the results they wanted and then they're like well I can just do more and see if that works. So they're in a little bit of a, a Mess in terms of the management of that I think it's just a collective management of all those variables and then just tweaking things and optimizing things It's never normally like one like gaping obvious reason it's more so like just little variables that you're pulling from different departments of the coaching process and then collectively that's like making a big change over time what's um with those people making a change do you find that the majority
0: of people having to rein back in on drugs rather than push them harder
1: yeah like especially the higher level pros it will be it'll be like a refinement process in terms of like figuring out what their actual requirements are and then once we've found those initial requirements then you can advance from there but nine times out of 10, they're probably well surpassed that when you actually got them in the first place and then you have to pull them back and then you can inch them forwards again in an appropriate manner instead of making these massive jumps that don't need to be that aggressive. And then when it comes to like people that, when it comes to people that might be new to it or that might be newly introducing it, I think the biggest thing is just starting them off at a pace that's appropriate for where they are because we all know like, the, you know, if you ask the the, the lad in your gym He's like, two mil a week, start at two mil a week, anything less than two mil, you're not gonna make any progress. It's like, what do you even mean? But like when you break that down, how can we how can we approach that in in a manner that allows to maximize the runway of time that you have to make progress without running into any issues? And like the big thing for coaching there is like people will want to use more than they need to at the start. And it's it's buying them into the process of being a little bit more patient with it, but you can still make the exact same amount of progress. It's just you're taking a slightly different different route to get there, which is a little bit more optimal with longevity in mind. It's a
0: very serious question. Do you and Hader have matching hand tattoos? We do,
1: yeah. Did you get? I together? got it first, though. You didn't get it together then. No, no, no. I got it in Texas when we after the after the te- Texas Pro was it? Yeah, after we, we went to we went to the Tampa Pro, and then after the Texas Pro, I got it because me and Loki woke up one morning and we we're like. Loki was like I want to get a tattoo and then I went with him and I wasn't I wasn't going to get a tattoo and then when we were stood there it, we were like we are in this really cool Texas uh, um, tattoo parlor like the dude in there that was working was like this Hispanic Mexican guy that was like covered in face tattoos and he was showing us some of his work and then I was like oh fuck it I'll just get one and then I was like, where should I get it? I was like, should I get it out my arm? And I was like, "And then I, I can't remember who I saw some, it was Jordan Shallows. So I was like, when we came over last year, Jordan Shallows has burned the boats on his fingers, doesn't he? And I was like, that's the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. And then when I was in there, I was like, I'm gonna get some bigger tattoos. <laughs> and then we, we got it. And the guy was like, you can get them as, as your first tattoo if you want. And I was like, yeah. And then, I, cause I knew I wanted to get more, but um, I remember when I saw his, uh, cause he's covered in tats, right? It starts as well. And then it's like, because you're the same, right? Yeah, exactly. Jordan, I saw Jordan's. Every time I see Jordan, he's on Instagram getting fucking tattoos. More tattoos, yeah. When I, Even when, though I, I tried to.
0: He's trying to get me to get a tattoo. I'm like the only guy in fitnesses doesn't have a tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> when I uh, when I saw those first tattoos, I was like, that's so cool. I was like, I need to do that. Ironically, the only place I would to think about like, a tattoo was on my hand, like my,
1: yeah, my hand. palm, which was yeah. quite cool, where it, like leads down to you. Because yeah. the goal was like, I was going to get that, but then I was going to get other things to like go alongside it. It's a problem. <laughs> what did the missus say? Um, I think she probably isn't surprised about my decisions now. She's like, oh, she's, she just shakes her head. I think it was more so my, because my mum and dad both followed me on Instagram and like they're both teachers that like, my dad's like an ex headmaster for like 30 years. And <laughs> I remember down. I didn't speak to them for like five days. And then my dad wrote my, I saw the dad on my, on my iPhone and I was like, I know what this chat's gonna be like. And he's was like, any news then? And then, uh, yeah, but they're fine, they're fine. It's a
0: good question for you actually, I think it's probably a lot of relevance to the audience. How would you recommend managing uh, bodybuilding in a serious relationship? Obviously you're trying for kids now Mm. and uh, I can be a bit, I was a bit of a dick probably when I was in prep and just generally people are. Any advice on people managing that scenario and what you say to clients to stop them like throwing everyone out of their life? doing
1: that? I think especially if you wanna pursue it over the long course and you wanna pursue it competitively, you need to have a partner that understands and it's quite hard if that individual's never been exposed to bodybuilding before. And you might need to go through one prep, which is like testing the waters to start. And then when you go when you go through a second prep, they're a little bit more understanding of what to expect because they've seen you come out of that post-show environment and they've seen you change back to your normal self again. They've seen you become more patient. They've seen you less erratic. You know, you're not hungry anymore. You're not fatigued anymore. You know, the back end of prep, you don't, you wanted to stay in your little bubble. You don't wanna, you know, you don't want to spend showing have emotion. Yeah, it's, that's the thing though. Like, I remember being in the back end of prep in twenty nineteen, and like, I'd be sitting on the sofa with Hannah, and she'd like want to like cuddle up, and like, I didn't even want to sit on the same sofa. I was like, I just want to be in my own little bubble, and this as it was, you're in this really strange place, like psychologically. But it's just the environment you're in, and and where you're taking your body, and obviously the drugs just amplify all those things. If you're using, if you're using different compounds to maximize the results of your physique, as we said before, with the, with the impact it has on your brain, like it changes things and it shifts things. And like, you've got high food focus, you've got high hunger, you've got very low energy levels, all those things exacerbate those personality traits that not, that, that are not optimal, that really aren't you in terms of like your own values and who you are as a person, because it shifts a little bit, you become a little bit more erratic, become less patient, whatever it might be. Um, and obviously energy levels wise if, you, if you're if you always tired at the back end of prep you don't want to do anything you just want to train you want to eat your meals and you just want to be in your own little bubble especially if you're busy with work so when they suddenly want to go and go on that walk or they're on to cinema or they want to go on a you know a date night you're like I can't be asked because I've got no energy but then you get that back post show so I think if it's someone if it's someone in a relationship where they haven't been through the, a, a prep before with the partner then making them aware of like look things over the next 20 weeks or whatever it might be are going to potentially go in this direction because of the goal i'm chasing but i'm also in a position where post show you'll start to see a lot of that thing a lot of those things change that might have been might have been manipulated in the prep itself and then when once they've been aware of that one time when you come to revisit it it's quite a different process because i think the partner understands a little bit more in terms of like i've seen this happen before and you could they kind of know the deal and you also appreciate the fact that potentially what they said after the prep, if they said like, this really upset me, I didn't like this, you're also gonna be acknowledging the fact that if you start to clock things that happen again, you're probably gonna shift a little bit in terms of not allowing them to happen as much as they did before. And sometimes you're gonna, you know, people are gonna be in a relationship with people that um, have already been through that process or have already competed themselves and they have a deeper level of understanding. Like some, I know a lot of people that, that, you know, prep, you know they're both prep they're both bodybuilders they're both physique athletes and they might prep at the same time they might prep at different times of the year but when you're both in a position where you understand the process then it's either going to be a match made in heaven or it's going to be an absolute train wreck and it's just learning learning how to kind of deal and communicate with one another and for the most part I think the most successful relationships that I see where they're both very heavily fitness industry based or they're both competitors are they're quite independent individuals in terms of like they can get on with their own stuff and they understand that individ- that other individual in the relationship needs their time and their space to get what they need to do done and then you spend quality time with each other when when you can, when you can. and there's no pressure to think we should be spending more time together or this or that it's like look you know you, you've got competitive aspirations or you've got business aspirations and we both have and you're just you're in a position where the work needs to get done it's not going to get done by itself doesn't, it doesn't make the relationship suffer. It's just having an understanding. We're into the new year, start 2023. Mm. What, what are your goals for 2023 to start to wrap up? Um, we are growing our coaching team. And my goal is to continue growing the brand and, and bringing coaches on and, and filling those coaches up. Um, and then obviously from, from a personal note, Competitively, I want to beat twenty twenty two, and that was a that was a big big year in terms of in, in terms of what we did on stage and, and 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 what athletes did, and I want to surpass that because you never want to you never want to take a step back; you always want to take a step forwards. Um, start a family, obviously, we, we're we're trying to um, try for for our first kid now, so that's that's a goal um, that will you know if we can box it off in the next couple of months, then that will be back end of the year or start of twenty twenty four. It's just business and. Life orientated, really. Um, You know, I think business-wise, my own individual goals from a coaching perspective are always going to revolve around results and and wins and pro cards and pro wins and Olympia, um, you know, Olympia uh, tickets for for clients. And then around that, it's more so just a case of like the people close to me. It's just like discontinuing to thrive because if the business thrives, then you're almost in a position where everything else does. You just got to find the right balance. If you could give yourself one piece of advice when you're eighteen, what would it be? Mm, one bit of advice um, probably the I think when i was when I was growing up and I was in school and I went to university and my brother was super smart and he ended up getting a job in banking when he left university, and both my parents were teachers, I was in a position where I was like I was very uh I was almost like you're in a position where you conform to it's got to be this way or I've got to I wanted to join the police for monk because my uncle was a policeman and I was like that's straight and narrow it's a simple job whatever and then when I started to get into the fitness industry if I, if I if I if I if I told myself when I was 18 what I'm doing now it would never even seem like it was possible but it's the it's the notion and it's really cheesy to say it but I'm sure you'll be the same where it's like things become possible relative to the work that you're willing to put in and it's also the fact that you're going to spend a long period of time trying to get to the position you're in where You don't feel like things are paying off to the to the magnitude of the work that you're putting in and reflecting it So you feel as though you're constantly pushing harder and harder and harder and not getting things fall into place or not Things materializing as quickly as you want But then if you do that for three years, you'll look back and you will go jesus like that's changed a lot so the progression eventually comes it's just you know the whole notion of like you creating your own luck in business or in you know coaching whatever it might be. If you win more, you earn more. Whatever it might be, it's just from it's just a reflection of the work that you put in. And and you know probably the higher level that you get, whether it's business growth, or whether it's coaching, the more calculated you have to be. But at the start, a lot of it's just groundwork, isn't it? It's just hours. It's just it's just putting in time, and just not having not having the little voice in your mind that says. I need to sleep eight, I need to sleep eight hours or I need to go to bed at this this time I know you don't sleep for a fact he messaged like, me like 3 a.m yeah we were talking at 3 a.m I think but like it's it's just the it's the confidence to be your own individual and it's the confidence to if you want to make those things happen you if you have those like when you're late when you're in in your teens and you're 18 19 whatever it might be if you have those crazy ideas of like oh imagine if I could do that it's like just do it because even if you fall short it's gonna you're gonna surpass you're probably going to surpass anything that potentially was possible before because you've got those high aspirations. So just just hunt those goals down because like the journey is the the beauty of it. And then obviously you're going to look back at some point and be like, Jesus, like, you know, I, I did a lot or I achieved a lot, or whatever it might be. Um, so having faith in your own ability to work and then just getting your head down and doing it. I 100% agree.
0: And I think that's one of the things that, if I could talk to myself when I was younger it would be putting the work earlier yeah. and harder so mm-hmm. they can compound for you for a longer period of time. Because people yeah, don't yeah. understand how like the compounding effect of like the hard work you've put in before stacks up over a period of time. So I think yeah. like what you were saying now in terms of like taking advantage of coaching while you can so you can reap the rewards for the next ten, twenty 20 years is completely perfect thought yeah. process. Yeah, 100%. Awesome, thank you very much for the call. All was good. Everyone who enjoyed the podcast, make sure you leave us a five star review, uh, subscribe, and see you next episode very, very soon.